0: Good church, how are we doing today? All right, all right. Happy Mother's Day, man. Can we celebrate the moms in the room at every campus? Yeah. Moms, come on. Y'all play such a pivotal role in the life of our church, in the kingdom, in our society. And man, we're just so grateful for you today. And for those of you, you know, uh, sons, daughters, fathers, husbands, make sure you uh, make the mothers in your life Uh, feel extremely loved and appreciated today. And I don't just mean buying them a gift and giving them some flowers and kind of moving on. I'm talking about like really say something significant to them. I think it's one of the gifts that we don't give enough are the gift of truly sincere, encouraging words of of love and affirmation. And so, man, look them in the eye today. Tell them how much they mean to you and and how grateful you are for them. Now, I also know we can't get to a day like Mother's Day and not recognize that uh, this is not always a happy day for everyone. That this day often brings up a lot of negative emotions and a lot of pain. Uh, if you're here and you've dealt with the issues of of, in, of infertility, of, of miscarriage, of infant loss, or, or, or maybe maybe today is a reminder of a broken relationship that you have with your mother or with your children, or or, or maybe today is one of the first Mother's Days you've experienced without your mother because she's passed recently. And, and we we just know that, that like this day can bring up a whole host of really difficult circumstances and pain. And so you just need to know that as a church, we celebrate with those who celebrate and we grieve with those who grieve. And so if you're here and and, and you're grieving today, we are with you, we're for you, we're praying for you, we're standing with you, but you need to know even more than that, that God is with you, God is for you, God knows exactly what you're going through and and his word tells us that he is near to the brokenhearted. And and my hope, and yeah, absolutely, we we can celebrate that truth. My hope and my prayer is that today we can give you a gift, all right? That no matter what you came in here with, no matter where you find yourself on on the spiritual spectrum, no matter if you're here celebrating or you're here grieving, no matter where you are today, that we can give you a gift through the passage that we're going to unpack today. And and that is the gift of a greater measure of hope. The the gift of a greater measure of peace, a a greater measure of confidence, and a, a... a greater measure of joy. And I know those are some big, lofty things that I believe that God wants to give to you today, but I believe they're possible because of the power of the passage that we're going to be walking through. All right, we're in a series called Four by Eight. We're spending four weeks in Romans chapter eight, one of the most impactful chapters of the Bible. And, and, and I, I believe today that God wants to, to, to really bless you with those gifts today. And I think it's possible because this passage is just so powerful. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, go ahead and get to Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend some time there starting in verse 18. Uh, today the, the, the title of the message is called The Power of Perspective. All right, The Power of Perspective. And perspective is a very fascinating thing. Because you could be in the same circumstances... But depending on your perspective, your inner turmoil could be totally different. Depending on your perspective, you could respond and, and speak and act in a completely different way in the same set of circumstances, all based on your perspective. All right, uh, Runners in the room, you know this. By show of hands at all of our campuses, how many of you are runners? You run on a regular basis. You freaks. You <laughs> can <laughs> That's crazy, that's crazy. No, good for you, man, that's great. I, I, I have always found it funny, though, because I've always heard there's a such thing as a runner's high, and I laugh at that every time because, like, I've gotten high off some things in my life before Jesus. Running was never one of them. Not once did I ever experience that. But you know, if you're a runner, you know the power of perspective, right? Like, you know that if you're running 10 miles, mile three and four aren't that bad, Right, you get to miles three and four, and you're like, "Man, I'm good. I still got like six or seven to go, and I'm feeling all right." Now you know, though, the power of perspective, because if you're running five miles, mile three and four are very different, right? Mile three and four, you're like starting to panic, and you're like, "You can feel the finish line, but you're you're starting to notice the pain more, and you don't know if you can make it." And you like, y- "Your response is totally different." That's the it's the power of perspective. I, I I saw the power of perspective at work in my in my children recently. I took them to a pacer game. All right, and this was not their first experience at a professional basketball game. This was actually their third. But now the difference between this time and the prior two times is that the prior two times, I did not purchase the tickets for them. We were gifted these tickets. And now if you have a friend who is a ticket hookup, you know what a special friend that is. And and, and if you are someone who blesses people with great seats and great tickets, you are earning jewels in your crown in heaven one day. Just keep doing it, man. We're all loving it. Please, please keep doing it. But like, their first experience was a Pacer game 10 rows off the court. It was amazing. I mean, it was just like, the coolest experience ever. Their second experience was not a Pacer game, it was our WNBA team, the Fever. And we actually have a ticket hook up there because we are friends with the mascot, Freddie Fever. So not only do we get the tickets, but at this game, Freddy Fever himself in full costume comes up and, like, interacts with my kids during the game, gives them, like, a gift bag full of free fever swag, and all the kids in the arena are like, who are they? It's not fair. My kids are like, ha-ha, it's awesome to be us, right? Those were their first two experiences. Now, the, the big difference in this, when I saw the power of perspective at play, is this, this third time, we did not get a ticket hookup. Okay, I did what every other normal person does. Went to StubHub. And I bought the cheapest tickets I could possibly find, which happened to be so far up in banker's life that by the time you get your family up there and you walk, you've done a full 20-minute exercise on a Stairmaster. You are profusely sweating from every possible place. And you get up there and, and you realize you've got to hold your kids really tight up there because it's so far up and it feels so steep that you feel like if they took one wrong step, they would just free fall to center court to their sudden death. You're that far up. Now, I saw, the, I saw the power of perspective at play when I saw my seven-year-old's face. When we got up there and we sat in our seats up in the nosebleed, the cheap seats, I looked at my seven-year-old and he had this look on his face. <laughs> he was like disgusted, confused, like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And he looks at me and says, Dad, what is this? I said, this is basketball, son. He goes, this is not basketball, Dad. You can't even see them. They look like little ants on the court. Like, look like little dots running around. Like, what is this? And then I knew when we had lost him. I knew the, like the power perspective of this thing was gone. When he turned to me and said, hey, Dad, when is Boomer, the, the Pacer mascot, gonna come up and give me my gift bag? <laughs> oh, Lord, son. Boomer ain't never coming up here, <laughs> all right? He ain't never coming up here. And, and, and sure enough, my seven-year-old left and he was super ungrateful and super discouraged. And I was mad, right? Because this was the one where I spent my money on the tickets. <laughs> like, I, I actually bought you these. But it, it's the power of perspective. Right? He, he had a different set of expectations. He saw things from a different perspective, which led to that sort of inner turmoil. And, and I just believe that many of us walk through life with a great deal of anxiety, fear, uh, regret, frustration, and anger. I I think many of us walk with a great deal of fear of the future and worry, Uh, just just a ton of inner turmoil. And I don't believe that God necessarily wants to change your circumstances because they may or may not change. But I believe God wants to liberate you from some of that today, to liberate you from some of the fear, to liberate you from some of the anger, from some of the frustration by giving you a different perspective. Because here's the deal. The earliest followers of Jesus Like the the, the people who were there in the beginning starting the church. They had the worst circumstances you could ever imagine. I mean, they endured crazy stuff that most of us will never have to endure. Most of them were imprisoned for their faith. Most of them were murdered for their faith. Most of them, their families, the minute they became Christ followers, their families disowned them. If their families didn't disown them, it's because they too became Christians. And for those families, many of them watched as their family members were murdered. Because they believed in Jesus. I mean, these people endured horrific circumstances, yet, yet, they walked with an unshakable joy, an an unwavering confidence, an uninhibited peace. I mean, it was just unreal. But it's because they had a perspective. Their circumstances didn't change, but their perspective completely changed. And I believe that's what we're gonna get today in Romans chapter eight. Paul wants to take us up the mountain. Paul, Paul in, in these few verses, Paul wants us to climb the mountain, to, to get up to it, to, to see things from a different perspective. And, and I actually want to give you the perspective before we even jump into it. Three simple statements that Paul's going to walk us through in these verses. And here, here's how it goes. What we hope for has been promised. What has been promised will come to pass. And it'll come to pass no matter what. What we hope for has been promised. What's been promised will come to pass, and it'll come to pass no matter what. Let's jump in. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Here's what he says. He says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies that He's promised us. And we were given this hope when we were saved. Now, Paul says, "All right, climb the mountain with me. Climb the mountain. And get up to this first kind of lookout point. It's kind of a point for us to stop and just take in a perspective. And this and this perspective, this reality that He draws us into, is actually mildly depressing at first, <laughs> but I believe it's very liberating." It's mildly depressing in the sense that what Paul what Paul brings us to in this perspective that we get to look out on, is the reality that all of creation is groaning. All of creation and everything in it is suffering. All of creation and everything in it is going through difficulty. It is hard. It is not easy. It is painful. We're all groaning. And like I said, that's mildly depressing at first. But think about it. It's actually very liberating. Because that means that if you're here today and you're going through it, like you find yourself in the middle of an incredible storm in your life that you don't know, like, man, if you're here and you're going through difficulty, you're suffering, you're in pain, guess what? You're not crazy. It's totally normal. It's actually par for the course. It's just kind of what we, it's what we deal with. This is, this is what it's like to be human, to live in a in a broken world, like if you're here and you struggle to find purpose in your life and you're struggling to enjoy your, your job and, and, and you're struggling to, 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 to uh, put food on the table, you're struggling to know how you're gonna pay the bills. If, if you're struggling, man, it's okay, it's okay. You can take in a deep breath, whoosh, brush the dirt off your shoulders, it's all right. You're not crazy, that's normal. If you're here and you've got relational drama, relational tension, it's okay. I know, I know it's hard, but you're not crazy. It's normal if, if, if you're struggling it's, it, it's okay all of creation's going through it and Paul says that, that not only that not only is it true that every single one of us either just went through something are currently going through something or about to go through something not only is that true but we all share this common ground that we all long for it to end don't we like, no matter, no matter if you believe in Jesus or not, no matter what your faith background looks like, we can all find common ground right here that we long for the day when the drama and the brokenness and the evil of this world comes to an end. We long for this pain and this suffering to end. Paul says it's like a woman in childbirth, like a woman experiencing labor pains and, and wanting them to end. Now, on Mother's Day, come on now, I ain't gonna pretend to know what labor pains are like. But, like, I've seen them. Right, my wife has given birth to my three children, and so I've seen them and I and I saw how painful it was and I know that she wanted it wanted them to end, and Lord knows I wanted them to end. Okay, because I saw a side of my wife that I was like, I I don't know that woman. Like the sounds that are coming out and what I see it is is not her. Like in that moment I knew what horror film like producers, when they envisioned like an exorcism, I was like, Yeah, I get it. Like when she I was like, Can I get an old priest and a young priest in here? I need I need the power of Christ compelling this. It's like, something ain't right. I long for them to end. She longed for them to end. And similarly, we all long for what we're going through to end. And that's where the beautiful, beautiful first aspect of this perspective that Paul gives us is that what we hope for has been promised. That the deepest longings of the human heart... The things that you really like, the, the things that bother you, the things that, that, that destroy you at your core, God knows them, God sees that, and He's met it with the promise that the Bible is full of promises from beginning to end, and they address the deepest needs, the deepest longings of the human heart. Like, if you're out there and you're sick of losing family and friends and loved ones to cancer, if, if you're sick of struggling through, chronic pain, if you're sick of dealing with anxiety or depression, man, God sees that and He has met that with a promise. Then second Corinthians five, we're told we're going to get new bodies that don't deal with this stuff one day. And in revelation, we're promised that there will come a day where there is no more sickness. There is no more disease. There is no more death. Like right now we may lose a few battles to cancer, but like the war is over. The war has been won. Jesus has already taken care of it. What we hope for has been promised. God sees it, God knows it. Like if you're here and you're just longing for peace, like if you long for peace in your home, peace in your marriage, peace in in your relationships, God sees that and he knows and he's promised us that one day he will be our God, we will be his people and his perfect peace will rule the land. What we hope for, it's it's been promised to us. Like, Are you sick of struggling with temptation? Are, are, are you sick of like knowing the right thing to do, but it being such a battle to do it? Jesus, Jesus, he sees that and he's met it with a promise. There's going to come a day where we are fully sanctified. We are fully made to be like Jesus. We are mature and complete and we lack nothing. What we hope for has been promised. Are, are you sick of dealing with doubts about God? Intellectual hangups about why things happen or why the world is the way it is? Well, God has promised us that there's gonna come a day where we walk and talk with him face to face just like it was in the Garden of Eden. What we hope for, like at the, at the deepest parts of our heart, God sees it. Like, I don't know about you, but I, am, I, I long, the, in my heart of hearts, I long for justice. I, I hate, every time we see, it seems like every other day we're seeing a school shooting on the news, a synagogue shooting, a, a, a church bombing, a, 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 racial, a racially driven hate crime. Misogyny. I mean, we see all this stuff and we, we long for it to end and God says, I see it and I promise you one day I'm gonna bring every deed out into the light kicking and screaming and I will make everything that is wrong right again. I'm telling y'all, what we hope for in the deepest parts of our soul, God says, I see it, I know it and I've got a plan. What we hope for has been promised. I believe that's one of the best apologetics we can offer to an unbelieving and skeptical world around us. That what breaks our hearts, no matter if you grew up in church or not, what breaks our hearts, God knows it because he made our hearts. What bothers us at our core, whether, you, whether you're in church or not, what bothers you at your core, all of humanity, it, it, God sees it and God knows it because God, God knit you together at your core. He, he sees it and, and he's got a plan for it. What we hope for has been promised. But I know that word Promise doesn't do much for you. <laughs> I, I know that because we live in a world of like unfulfilled promises, right? I mean, come on, we, we, we don't elect politicians anymore based on their ability to deliver on promises. We just elect them like based on how good the promise sounds. <laughs> you know? No one's actually expecting them to fulfill this stuff. Like the, the next politician in Indy that runs on the I Will Fix All Potholes campaign, you know he's gonna win. <laughs> just sounds too good. We gotta give you a chance, right? We gotta give you a chance. But, like, nobody expects half the promises that get made anymore to actually get fulfilled. And this is no more evident than when you go to a wedding, right? I mean, over half of all marriages end in divorce. That means that at those weddings, there's some lofty promises made that aren't being fulfilled by one or both people involved. You see, well, like, we live in a, in a world of broken promises. So why should we believe these promises? Well, that's where Paul wants to, wants to answer and take us to the next kind of level of perspective is that what we hope for has been promised and what has been promised will come to pass. And Paul wants to give us some proof, something we can actually hold on to to be confident in the promises of God. And he hints at it at verse 23. If you back up just a second, he hints at it at verse 23, the proof that we have. He says this, he says, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. He says we suffer even though we kinda know what's coming, right? We got like a movie trailer, like a preview. We got the Holy Spirit in us as a foretaste of what's to come. And he would expand on that thought in verse 26. He says this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, Paul's like, all right, come on, keep climbing the mountain with me. Keep, keep climbing the mountain. Keep, keep getting up here. And, and, and on your next lookout, here, here, here's the next level of this perspective that you've got to be able to see is that what has been promised will come to pass. And he says, the reason that you can know that the promises of God are trustworthy is the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit, is this fascinating reality that the Spirit is at work in your life even when you don't realize it. Even when you aren't aware of it. Heck, even when you're in disobedience to it. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And he says, for example, (laughs) for example, when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf, asking God to give you what you need. And he says, the Holy Spirit even prays in accordance with God's will. It's as if Paul is saying that there are times that you and I pray really stupid things, and the Holy Spirit's like, shh, shh, shh don't listen to them, don't listen, they're stupid. Here's what they really need. You know? Like, you didn't know that the Holy Spirit and Garth Brooks were like synced up. Like, Garth Brooks and Romans 8, like, deep theological truth. When he sang, sometimes I thank God, oh, you know this song, for unanswered prayers. Oh, come on. Don't leave a Kentucky boy hanging. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't. Oh, you did it. You did it. Oh, because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You know it's true. Now, pause for a second. Y'all didn't know what song I was going with, did you? Some of y'all were thinking I was going friends in low places (laughs) where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases, my blues away. We in church, man. It's Mother's Day. I ain't going there. But you didn't know that Garth Brooks singing deep in theological truth because you know it's true. You know that some of the greatest things that have happened in your life are the fact that God did not answer some of your prayers. You know that some of y'all were like on your knees at your bedside praying that God would let you marry that person that you're dating, that person that you like. And then for some reason, the relationship fell apart. Fast forward 10 years and you get a random Facebook friend, uh, friend request from that person. You do a little, a little Facebook snooping and real quick, you're like whew, dodged a bullet. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that would have been really bad. <laughs> Whoo, thank the Lord. Come on, Paul's trying to get you to see, look, look at the blessings, look at the things in your life that you consider to be your greatest blessings. How much did you have to do with them? Next to nothing. Look at your family, look at your friends, look at your job, I mean, come on, most of us are in jobs that we, we definitely shouldn't be in, we're definitely not qualified for. We didn't interview well for them, but for some reason God intervened and his spirit allowed us to get there. Like most of the greatest things in our life are God's spirit at work. It has nothing to do with us. And God's spirit is at work 24-7, 365 in your life. Like that feeling you get inside. When you're about to do something that you know you shouldn't do, (laughs) you know the feeling I'm talking about. That feeling of like intense heat inside of you, like panic, like alarms are going off, like I know I shouldn't do this, I know I shouldn't do this, I know I shouldn't do this. That's God's spirit at work in your life, trying to convict you and guard you and, and guide you. And, and, and you know that when you follow through and do that thing that you know you shouldn't have done, and you know the feeling of guilt and shame and regret, you know that's God's spirit at, at, at work in you, allowing you to feel the, the weight of your sin, allowing you to experience what the Bible calls godly sorrow that leads to repentance, but you know that God don't leave you there. You know when you get that perfect encouragement from a friend or you come to church and you hear a sermon about the grace of God and how his mercies are new every morning or you get on and you start worshiping in the car and all of a sudden God just overwhelms you with his love and his grace and he just picks you back up and says, keep going, man, you are forgiven, you are loved. That is God's spirit at work in your life. He is always working. He's always bringing you up. He's always at work in your life and it's so important for you to notice it. You've got to step back and you've got to notice the work of God in your life because the work is proof of the promise. The work is proof of the promise. The work is proof of the promise. When you see him working in your life, you know that he has not forgotten about you. My my wife and I live in downtown Indy. And there was this home that was being built across the street from us, or at least we thought. Right, because there's this empty lot right across the street from us and we found out that they're going to build a home. And so they start digging the hole out for the home. They're digging, and it's going to be a big old home. I mean, it's a massive basement, and they're digging this thing out like crazy. And it's just a huge pit. And we're like, yes, a new home's coming in, new family in the neighborhood. It'll be great. Home values increase. You know, all, all good things. Except for the fact that they dug the pit and then never did anything with it. It was like, oh, Like for three, four months, nothing, just a massive pit. And now if you're trying to like welcome new families to the neighborhood or maybe like get more people to move to your area, it's not the best thing in the world. Like, hey, it's a great neighborhood, real close to downtown, close to restaurants, close to the Monon, very inclusive, family friendly, minus the massive pit that your children could fall in and die. There is that, okay, there is that. But three, four months went by and nothing happened. No foundation, no walls, no nothing. We all started worrying, like, did the builder back out? Did the builder run out of money? Did the buyer back out? Like, what happened? Like, we just weren't sure. But, oh, I can tell you, I, I, remember, I remember the day because the text message thread on our neighborhood block, we got, like, a neighborhood group chat, the, 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 the text message started blowing up when you heard that glorious beep-beep sound of the cement truck backing up. Beep, beep, beep. All neighbors were like, What's happening? concrete's happening let's go like everyone was so excited right I think back that pretty little truck up and start pouring that concrete because we knew right we knew that the work was proof that we were back on track we knew that the, the commitment was going to be upheld you see God wants you to see that the work of his spirit in your life is proof that you have not been forgotten about it is proof that his promises are on schedule they're on time The work is proof that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. You don't have to worry about it. He's not forgotten about you. The work is proof of the promise. See, what we hope for has been promised. And what's been promised will come to pass, and it will come to pass no matter what. See, Paul's going to seal the deal for us. Verses 29 and 30, look at what it says. It says, for God knew his people in advance, And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Do you see what Paul's doing? It's all on God. He knew in advance. He chose He called. He gave. He gave some more. It's all on God. It's all on this sovereign, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-present God. It has nothing to do with us. You see, the promises of God are going to come to pass in your life, whether you like it or not. They are fixed. They are set in stone. There's nothing that can thwart the plans of God. There's nothing that can remove his promises from your life. There's nothing you can do about it. My, my wife and I are about to take our kids on a very dangerous trip this summer. All right. We're about to take our kids on a trip that we've never done before. We're going down to that magical kingdom where Mickey Mouse is the king, but he's the kind of king that shows you a good time and takes all of your money. Very high taxation rate in his kingdom. But our, our, we've never done it before. We've never done the Disney trip and our kids know nothing about it. So like do us a solid and don't say anything. Like if you see us out in the lobby with my kids or you see us out, like don't, don't say anything because like if you ruin it, my wife will murder you. <laughs> do not cross her on this one, okay? because we're going all out trying to like, make this the most incredible trip in the world for them. Like, we just want it to be like, an amazing memory. They're the perfect ages, seven, four, and two, and like, it, it's gonna be incredible. And we just can't wait to bless them with it. We can't wait to love them in this way. And I'm telling you, we're going all out in, in preparation for this thing. We got like coordinated outfits, depending on the park that we're in. So like, when we're in Toy Story Land, my boy about to be looking like Buzz Lightyear and Woody. My girl about to be looking like Jessie. Beauty and the Beast, my girls be wearing her bell dress and just twirling around. I mean, it's intense. And and, and we've got this friend that's helping us who's like an expert Disney trip planner. And when I see the plan, I'm like, it is on par with like CIA counter-terror insurgency plans. It's like, 8.30 a.m., show up at breakfast to meet Donald, Duck, and Goofy. 9.35, you're gonna go to this ride and use the fast pass that uses the ride share and then you're gonna hit this place. It's like, oh gosh. It's insane, It's, it's amazing. But our kids have no clue about it, no clue. You know how I know they have no clue? Because they still complain about everything. <laughs> I'm like, I want vanilla ice cream, not chocolate. Like, put a cork in it, kid. When I was your age, we didn't have ice cream. Like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but, like, they find a way to, to complain and to not do their homework and to be crazy and disobedient. I just sit there thinking, like, man, if you knew what we had in store for you, there's no way you'd be acting like this. There's no way that you'd be letting anything get you down in the dumps because the plans are just too good. Like the future is just too good. There's no way that you'd be acting like that if you knew. And then I started thinking, like, is there anything that my kids could do between now and this trip that would cause me to get so frustrated, so angry, so disappointed that I would decide to cancel the trip? Like, Is there anything that they could do that would be like, man, that, you have gone too far, forget it, we're not going. The plans are canceled. No, I mean, come on, because my, my love for my kids is not conditional. It is unconditional. My, my, like, we have decided that we're going to give them this, we're gonna love them in this way and there's nothing they could do about it. Like, my, my love for them is fixed, they're my children and I've decided to give them good things in their future, and I just think God sent me here to tell somebody at one of our campuses that there is nothing you could have done in the past, nothing that could have been done to you in the past, that could disqualify you from the future that God has in store for you. Nothing. His promises are unshakable. There's nothing you could be struggling with in the present that could anger God to the point that he would remove his promises from your life because you know, he knew you in advance. Whatever you're dealing with, it, it, it doesn't surprise him. <laughs> He's good. Um, I mean, there's nothing that could happen in your future that could thwart his plans. If you don't get the grades, if you don't get the job, if that, if that relationship doesn't work out, there's nothing that you could do to change the plans that God has for you, to change the promises that God has for you. Jeremiah 29 11 is a verse that many people know. It says, for I know the plans, I have for you. It's not an if. He knows the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's set in stone. And now that does not mean that you're gonna be healthy and wealthy because God knows that stuff don't really make you happy in the end anyways. What it does mean is that there is no way that if you trust Jesus, there is no way you're gonna get to the end of this thing and be disappointed. God is too good. God loves you too much. He knew you in advance. He called you in advance. He chose you in advance. He gave you his right standing through Jesus. Like when Jesus stretched out his arms and he died on the cross, he made a definitive and irrevocable statement about his love for you. And and, and when Jesus rose from the grave and he conquered death, he made a definitive and irrevocable statement about his plans for you. There's nothing you could do to change it. He's that good. His promises are going to come to pass no matter what. And now come up with me for a second. Come up with me because you just reached the top. Like this is it, this is what Paul's wanting to show you. Like you've reached the mountain top. And now you gotta like, you gotta take in the view. Like once you're up here, you gotta breathe in the view for a second. Everybody across all of our campuses, take a big deep breath with me. What we hope for in the deepest longings of our heart, what we hope for has been promised. What has been promised will come to pass, and we know it because of the work of the Spirit in our lives, and it will come to pass no matter what because God's love for you and his future for you and his promises for you are set in stone. Now, now from this, from this view, from this perspective up on top of the mountain that Paul just took us in Romans 8, now I want you to just look back down at the thing you came in worried about. Look back down at the thing that you came in consumed with and angered by and frustrated by. Look look down at the thing that was causing you such such grief and such heartache. And do you feel it? It's just a little lighter. That's that's God's peace. That's hope. That's joy. That's, That's the power of perspective. This is what enabled the followers of Jesus to endure the worst circumstances that never changed. They only got worse but enable them to do things, crazy things, like being locked up in a prison, facing execution. And what are they doing? They're not crying, they're not worried, they're singing. Songs of praise and songs of joy, they're, 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 they're filled with joy. That's the power of perspective. And I think that God wants to liberate you from whatever you walked in here with by that perspective. And so I wanna give you some space to talk to God about it. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that this Romans eight perspective is meant to do something for you, to, to let you walk out of these doors, a different person today. And so let me pray for you and give you some space to talk to God about it. Jesus, we love you. If you are for us, who could be against us? We've seen too much, you've done too much for us. And we're so grateful. Thank you for the power of perspective. Thank you that you are the God of our circumstances. You are over our situations. You are over our issues. You're in control. So God, meet us in these moments. Minister to our hearts. Help us to surrender everything that's weighing us down to you and to let your perspective give us fresh power, fresh peace and grace hope. Jesus, we love you. Meet us here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.